G'day folks, it's Coach here and uh, we are doing a LVO <laughs> recap stream. Um, so it's been a couple of weeks since the Las Vegas Open. Um, I obviously had some travel delays, I had some things that I needed to do, but I want to take the opportunity to talk with Matt, the Nuge, uh, and let's talk LVO. Let's talk about the world's biggest Age of Sigma tournament. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our lists and what we were trying to achieve. Um, spoiler, we both went four and one at the tournament, though we didn't make the top eight cut. Um, let's talk a bit about the event, um, what we liked about it, um, how it might differ from other events. It's certainly a little bit different to some of the tournaments that I've been to in the past. Um, and I'll bring up some of the terrain maps and the rules that uh, some people really like, some people are now considering, some people disliked. And uh, talk through our games. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. You know, thanks for inviting me onto the show. I knew you missed me too much, so you're always gonna have me on, even though I but, technically reject you for the Beast of Chaos video. But you know, to be, to, to be <laughs> fair, I had you booked, and I gave you, I loaned you out to Warhammer Weekly. So Vince True. and Tyler, you owe me one. Um, but <laughs> how's LVO? Like just. Uh, for someone who maybe has never been to a large tournament, um, I assume people might have seen my little 10-minute vlog around what the LVO is all about and what it looks like and what it feels like. But talk to me about why the LVO exists, why it's important, why do 300-odd people come to this, this particular event every year? Um, give me the flavor. So LVO was, you know, I... So this is my second time going to LVO this year. My first time was in last year in 2022. And that's honestly what made me fall in love with going to, you know, Age of Sigmar events in general. There's just, you know, Vegas is a lot of fun, you know, Viva Las Vegas. And then when you go into the stadium with like hundreds of like, you know, people playing Age of Sigmar from all over the country, or even in this La Paso LVO all over the world, it just makes you feel like, wow, you know, it's not just my local community that loves this game. It's all of us that love this game. We all get to come together in this very rare time and weekend. And, you know, you get to play all different, all kinds of different people, unless you, know, you get unlucky and match with someone local. But other than that, you know, you get to play a bunch of different people. And, you know, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's you know, it's one of those, like, you know, indescribable things. And I think that's why when I went to my first LVO last year, um, I fell in love with it. And I went to, like, over 30 events last year and, you know, plan to do so again this year. I remember when, uh, so anyone who might've followed the channel for a while might already know this, but I've been playing Warhammer since the late nineties. Um, but I never went to a tournament until Age of Sigma. Um, for whatever reason, I lived in a small country town. I, I didn't really know there was big tournaments and like match play was fun when, when Age of Sigma first came out. But I remember my first major tournament, CanCon, which back in like 2016, 17, uh, I can hear keyboard, Matt, um, was like 50 players. And that was that kickstarted my competitive journey. And for me, these major tournaments, whether it's CanCon, whether it's Adepticon, LVO, Bobo, there are major tournaments all around the world, 100 plus players. It does really help you introduce you to the, water, the, the, the broader scene. And it got me really excited to play match play. Like it became bigger than just your, your local store. That's how I, that's what I felt in love with. And um, 
as you mentioned, I traveled uh, 15 hours across the world to play. There was also a bunch of people from Scotland, from England. Uh, who else were the internationals? There were some French um, players. Yeah, French of Belgium. And then maybe someone from else from Australia. I don't know if you were the only no. one from Australia, but I was I was the only Australian in Age of Sigma. There was a couple in 40k. Um, and then there was also uh obviously you, you Canadians and things like that. So um it was a big convergence. I think it ended at 325 players approximately. Um I think it, it sold like 380, and then there was obviously drops out. So um Absolutely incredible. Um, Games Workshop came, did a stream. They uh, also broadcast the games as well. Won't go into that. I know there was some contention, some contention with with Rob and, and what was going to happen and what wasn't going to happen in the coverage. But overall, I enjoyed it. You? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it was a blast. You know, give me like a second because uh, one of my cats give me a hard time. All right, one of these cats. And I actually might bring up some photos. So for anyone who, again, who hasn't seen um, the the small little video, oops, spoiler alert, um, th- you know, we, we had a great time in Vegas for it, you know, th- and, and that probably to me was one of the most exciting things about tournaments like this is when you can do things outside the tournament. It's more than just your five or six games. It's the things that happen outside, whether it was going out to dinner, whether it's going out to drinks, whether it is, you know, people doing karaoke, people going out to bars, people going out, uh, having house parties, whatever it is, um, it's always these cool moments. And probably one of the things I really enjoy about American tournaments is that you guys have a lot of hotel tournaments, which means people stay in the hotel. Um, unlike probably where I live, a lot of people will drive back home and they've got kids and family and I don't, I don't grudge them at all, but being there and having breakfast, having lunch, having dinner, going out for drinks really makes the tournament special. Yeah. So, I mean, so this to me was definitely like a highlight because usually with some of the GTs that we have, I have back in like, uh, southern california we usually have it in like a gym or like a you know smaller like room where it's like you know it's cool that we get to like meet up but we don't get to actually stay there in vegas you actually get to stay there and it's very easy to run into like you know your your, the opponent you just played in your last match or like you know your favorite aos like celebrity or just someone that you know and it's just like you know you're in vegas you have a good time there's no like commitments you're just there just to play and you know have the time of your life and you know that's why i like you know definitely came back a second time and i plan to keep going to more lvos from here on out and you know it was really cool you know coach could hang out with all these other people but of course he chooses the socal gang as you see in one of the pictures right here most yeah. of the nights <laughs> i i did get dr- brought into a lot of the events just un or, or, organically i don't know what happened i just kept getting like a magnet although i am representing austin weird knobs right now so shout out to those crew um absolutely legends i just want to call it one quick comment from the chat which i think is really important to call out uh, and then we'll get into the event and we'll talk a bit about like what happened and, and all that good stuff but one of the things that these major tournaments and i can't stress enough that mike's uh comic dance mentioned it's the friends that you make and i know for me when i went to my first tournament um i didn't know a lot of people back then and you know i went to england before i really started my channel and i don't really know anybody when i played at blood and glory but it's the conversations and the pe- people that you meet that often kickstarts the relationships and then you run at them in other events or, you know, you start hearing about events outside your community and you start seeing people again. You start adding people to Facebook or Discord and the relationships really grow. So 
while it can be intimidating for the first time you go, it just gets better and better and better. So I, I can't stress enough if you've never been to to jump in and actually go to a tournament for the first time. Yeah, and I think, you know, from LVO, there came, you know, there was a birth of this saying that was kept saying out is, you know, make five friends, not five L. And I feel like, you know, that's like the most beautiful thing about, you know, Age of Sigmar in this hobby. And another thing I really wanted to say was that like, you know, that I had known some people in, you know, the AOS, you know, Discord for like years at this point. And, you know, getting a chance to like, you know, either see them again or meet them for the first time at, you know, LVO was just, you know, amazing, you know, because it's like, oh, I've talked to these people for years and now I'm, you know, now I get to meet them in person and, you know, it doesn't feel any different. It feels like an old friend I hadn't seen in a while. Yeah, yeah. I like to meet a lot of online people as well. And it's um, it's pretty surreal, whether it's the people you interact with on Twitter or on Discord or on a Facebook group or you've never met. Um, you know, Honey Nuts mentioning best thing about Warhammer, you know, at events isn't the Warhammer. It's uh, the people that you can nerd out with around Warhammer. And I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, shout out to Moonface the Cat. I can hear who's trying to say hello. Uh, you know, let, let, let me bring him on the street because I know he's your favorite. Uh, I, I, I got to stay at, uh, at Matt's house and I think I might've got allergies from cats or at least the Californian weather, but, uh, it's yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. It is dry right now. Yeah. Talk to me about your list. So you took the beast of chaos. Um, I guess one, what's this list all about? And two, what were you trying to achieve at the LVO? Were you going for a top eight spot? Were you going for best in faction? Were you just going for fun? Like, what was the goal of this tournament for you? Honestly, um, it was pretty much all of the above that you mentioned as to, you know, why I was taking this LVO. You know, I've always loved this army. I've played this army since 2008, 2019 when the book came out. And then, you know, when they got their white dwarf buff, you know, we did that one video last year and, you know, now we're here. So, yeah, I mean, besides having fun, my personal goal was, you know, to get, you know, best in faction itc for beast because i was competing against you know the eventual lvo winner g1 noah thing you know a good buddy of mine and i'm really happy that he took it we had we had a really fun competition these past couple months leading into um lvo and you know i want to see if i can make the top eight spot i was you know pretty confident in this you know this list i've been playing it for a while and you know basically the gist of this list is it's old beast of chaos you know i decided to go with the spell enhancement for all of my wizards because all the spell effects are really strong, like Sundering Blades, Extra Rend, Hailstorm, Half Move, Half Run, Half Charge, Wild Rampage, Make a Unit, Reroll Wounds with minus one to save. And then, you know, because this is an old piece of chaos, you know, 30 Zongors can rally on a four up and then they get to easily get to Rend two with a spell Rend three. And then Zongor and Lightning on Disc were really strong. And then, you know, I also had Dragon Ogres and Bounty Hunters because um, with all three of these threats and Bounty Hunters, they could clear like most hammers and threats like really efficiently. And with All Herd, I choose to summon a lot. So then it's a, it's abusing the old piece of chaos um, summoning mechanic. And this is what it's really effective for. So, yeah. I might call out that uh, the LVO was the last of season one general's handbook 2022. So uh, it was old piece of chaos. So the last book, not the one that's literally hit the shelf. Um, funnily enough, my preview videos went live at the LVO. So, uh, it was the older book with the White Dwarf update, and it was with Galatian veterans. So if you're looking for like Tunnel Master and things like that, it was not season two yet. So 
So you've got some interesting models here. You've got some hammers. You've got some anvils. You wanted to do well. You were hoping to top eight. Was that a goal of yours? It wasn't like a something I was like, you know, it had to happen. But, you know, it would be nice because I was trying to catch up with G1 Noah thing in like points. You know, it was more like, you know, let's see if I can do this. And hey, you know, for what is still like an amazing record at LVO, honestly, because LVO, there are, in my experience, there are no easy games. You're playing against like, even going 3-2 is like, you know, difficult at a place like LVO. But, you know, you know, my main focus besides, you know, doing well with Beast of Chaos, because I've always played the army, is that, you know, I'm there to have a good time with my friends and make new friends. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that separates Age of Sigmar from a lot of games. And I feel like yeah. that's important. Yeah, it's interesting because um, when you look at the final results, there was a really a large amount of really good players who had three and twoed. So they won more than they lost. And I know they would have liked a four and one or five and oh the tournament. But there is no it was a at times it was a real snake's den. It was yeah. very competitive. A lot of people have been practicing. These major tournaments are like the the pinnacle. So people have been practicing and list building and teching and preparing for that top eight. And it's interesting actually, because when you look at the people who came like 14th all the way down to like 60th, um, they were four and ones. You would expect four and one to be a little bit higher, but when you look at the points differential of like one drop battle tactic, um, allowing your opponent to score a few, uh, too many grand strategies or battle tactics, then that would be the difference between you ending 20th and you ending 40th regardless regardless of you going four and one. So it was a very, very, very tight field. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, people have, to, I think people before they hear about Age of Sigmar or the things they hear about Age of Sigmar, they assume, you know, oh, you know, the game's less competitive or like the people are less competitive. And then honestly, in my experience, um, you know, for eight people that play this game in events, we are competitive, but I think we're competitive in a healthy way. So I think that's, you know, this game can be, like, very intense, but to me, that's what, like, I honestly love to compete. Like, I used to compete in sports a lot, and playing Age of Sigmar and doing all these events reminds me of all these, like, sports I used to play. And, you know, the competition is great. People are great. So, yeah. What what were you worried about? Like, going into a major tournament, and I imagine a lot of people are thinking the same thing, right? Whether it's Adepticon comes up next month, whether it's going to be um, any of the major tournaments that come up. How do you think about the meta and are you thinking about certain lists that you want to counter? Are there armies that you're trying to match up with? Are there things that concern you that you're trying to build for? Like what goes in? Because it's easy, right, when you have a a local meta. I know what certain armies are, are popular. I know people like to go high drop or low drop or whatever my local scene is. But when we go East Coast, West Coast, internationals, how do you consider that with your lists? So with this list I have in mind, um, it was definitely like, you know, it was definitely made with my experience of playing people locally. And then when I w attended the East Coast event ever winter, the month before LVO. So I think my biggest concerns were do if I have to fight other horde armies, you know, that's why I need my, I have three units of bounty hunters. And, you know, I was also afraid of, you know, things like horror gas to enlist because 30 Zogwar is definitely, I need the, command points or i need to use my triumph indomitable to make sure that they don't run and i also d didn't like to run into like you know aoe mortal wounds and I'm, i was also thinking about 
ogres and slates of darkness because ogres with their mass shooting which is a hurtful and then plus iron blasters and stonehorn at the time and then slates of darkness was also really popular so because there were very high armor saves and old beast was really good good at cracking armor saves that is why i built my list around that to deal with the most common uh denominators of lists i was going to run into and i actually did fight two ogre lists so i was partially correct on like my predictions of what was i was going to run into do you did you run into a lot of hordes so in the games i played i played against um ogres and then i played against the um venetium list that actually got their place last year and then my third game um i don't remember off the top of my head but i do think it was another um uh, no it was a stormcast matchup but that was against you know owen jackson we'll get into that later and then, that's all right um, we'll, we'll, sh we'll, sh yeah. we'll show the lists but like just from a prediction point of view um because i know when i got to my list um, I was really concerned about, as you said, Slaves to Darkness and being able to have that Nurgle banner with the Nurgle mark and what that would mean to my five idiots on the table. So I ran Sons. I went with um, with the Breaker Tribe. So I had a Gatebreaker as my general, 40 wounds, uh, ignoring Rend 1 and bouncing Mortal Wounds on a 6. Um, I had King Broad, who got a little points discount, who is another 40 wound Mega Gargant got access to prayers, some nice utility, uh, not as damaging as the Gatebreaker, but the four, having two units that have 40 wounds meant that I could soak up a lot of damage. Um, I also had a War Stomper with the Flaming Weapon to do a lot of damage with its um, Flail attack, so, sorry, the Club attack. Um, that was very much if I had to sacrifice it, and funnily enough, in turn one, game one, I did actually have to sacrifice it because I had six Varengard coming for my face. Um, then I took three baby baby man crushes. Now I could have taken another mega, but I wanted to have some bodies given that there were some battle plans that had more than four um, objectives on the table. And I didn't want to be babying like the Nidus path, right? I didn't want to have a mega gargan protecting my home objective when someone could teleport in my backfield. So I needed to have some babies that could either go steal objectives, who could screen or could um, hold objectives. So very much i went with three megas three babies um with a couple of artifacts and hopefully getting the triumph which i found most of the time i got at 1970. um i don't think actually i think i think all five of my games i got the triumph so i could get plus one to wound once per game um i was concerned about ogres so i wanted to have three mega gargants that could soak up the damage titanic so finest hour if i had to run the uh, man crushes they can run and charge and they can do a 3d6 charge off the off the general um and i was a little bit worried about slaves um which is another reason i took the man crushes because um when they pile in if i can roll double the wound so if i have like a two wound idiot if i can roll a four up um i can steal a model so i could actually pluck the nurgle banner straight out of the unit so uh, and that actually came into play that actually came into play so um, that was my list. I was more about just going and having fun, to be honest. Um, I didn't really want to, I've been running Stormcast for the last six months. So I wanted something that was a bit more chilled. means we could go out, we could have some fun. I could have conversation. I wasn't stressing about what I put in the sky, where I drop, what do I do. It was a very relaxing um, game. Yeah, I that's mean, that's I awesome. And honestly, with how uh, the new Giants book has been panning out and stats-wise, like it's honestly super impressive that you went 4-1 at LVL with Giants because right now, in my opinion, they're not an easy army to play. 
even though like, you did take the army to have like a relaxing time you still have to like overcome you know their weaknesses now with being more swingy and i literally changed my list five times no practice so i'm not trying to gloat but i just couldn't i couldn't decide because of the meta i, I really couldn't decide uh look I've been playing Gargant since they first dropped in 2019, I think it was, when the book very first came out. I was one of the first few that went 4-1 and one and did a really good performance in the second edition. Um, so it wasn't like I just picked up this army and went 4-1, but um, I did change my list because it was really hard to settle on. Um, you know, the Beast Smasher went down in points. Um, King Broad went down in points. Um, do I take four megas? Do I take three megas, three babies? Do I go for the triumph? Do I go for an endless spell? So, um, that is my list. Um, and it was easy to transport. Absolutely loved it. But something that I want to talk about, uh, before we get into our, our games is something that was quite, I wouldn't say unique to LVO. It's certainly a West coast type of thing. And we see it at the AOS worlds. It's certainly very common if you come from 40 K and that is terrain maps and the way that we set the game up. So, look, if we go by the core rules, attacker gets to go de deploy in and go first. Defender gets to set up the terrain. In most cases, the TO has already set up the terrain, so defender has no benefit. Um, sometimes there are house rules where, you know, the defender can can choose the side, attacker de deploys first. Sometimes there's rules here and there. But you're very familiar with this. Matt, do you want to give us a, like maybe the high level, you know, like how how is the, how does this work? How do terrain maps work and what do you like about them? Yeah, so, uh, you know, because terrain maps, this was basically developed, This whole, the whole pack for LVO was basically from uh, my local TO, <coughs> Gareth Thomas, um, you know, pack. Because he, he actually uses those guinea pigs to test you know, test like, you know, all the rules and everything and, you know, what to use before we finally finalized on this for the past year. So um, in our pack, defender and attacker roll off. Defender gets to choose to place terrain based off of where the T's are on the map. So you can decide which terrain pieces are, and we usually play with eight pieces of terrain. So two of them are impassable, two of them are garrison, two of them are wildwood, and two of them are cover. And we feel like it's really important to play with because it actually affects the game a lot. And having eight pieces of terrain, you know, can actually you know sh shift how movement is and the flow of the game in general so defender places down terrain based off of the terrain map and they cannot place garrisons on objectives that's kind of our little cop in our pack because um it's kind of abusive to place a garrison on objective because of how garrison rules are so if that's you know you can't put a garrison on objective that's the only thing that's comped but other than that you know defender places terrain based off of the t's on the map and then defender also gets to play mist put down mysterious terrain like damned mystical deadly etc and then after they do all that the attacker gets to pick size so the side so that's the actual balance between attacker and defender so even though defender does seem like it has a lot of power the fact that like attacker gets to pick sides encourages the defender to actually balance the map so you know maybe they even though they're tempted to try to like make it favorable the defender might make it favorable towards them but then because the attacker gets to pick them you know the, the side they have to keep that in mind and whoever gets whoever is the attacker gets to drop first so let's say if both the lists are one drop both and whoever wins the roll off whoever won the roll off in the one drop versus one drop list has to seriously think about would i rather place terrain or would i be rather be able to one that dictates priority turn one so yeah i really like it 
so much so that I'm probably going to take this or something very similar to my next GT um, because there's been plenty of times and look, there's, there's pros and cons, right? I know that there are some people who really don't like terrain maps because, you know, you can have this very stock standard approach, which can feel really bad. You know, sometimes going to a table, having variety, having different types of terrain that can be really exciting. At the same time, there's nothing worse than getting to a table where you get shafted with bad terrain, uh, bad terrain layouts. People have moved the terrain and you can have an argument with your opponent. Hopefully that never comes up, but I know some people find themselves in that position. People have put their, their trays and, you know, there's a it, you're a Sylvaneth player and you, there's nowhere to put woods down or, you know, there can be really interesting problems that come up where the terrain map where we've seen the AOS worlds introduce it um west coast as you've mentioned 40k use it a lot i do like the interactivity and being able to move around terrain based on the uh the battle plan i think there's some things that could be tightened up i know i didn't like the way that impassable worked i think um but that's that's a whole different conversation i think yeah. the to could set impassable um but out, outside of that i really enjoyed it and i found that i gave away defender every time i could like in fact i don't think i set up the terrain at all like i gave it to my opponent i was happy to be attacker to to deploy first and choose side and i found my opponents um kept it fair like they never tried to screw one person or the other they tried to mirror it as best as possible so there was no significant advantage yeah i mean of course there's some matchups where like being defender sometimes makes it really um you know it makes it really hard for the opponent but most of the time because of how you know attacker defender works in this in you know the old town throw down pack we used to jokingly call it the correct pack but some east coasters got offended we love you guys but um yeah i mean because of the the importance of attacker and defender it encourages the defender to always make it balanced because the attacker is the one that gets the pick regardless so you can't just be like okay i'm gonna put all arcane on my side and i get to get it nope but the attacker gets the side if you get to have all that or not and I feel like I, playing with mysterious terrain, like it's just you know, it, it spices up the game and it makes the game a lot more like interesting and fun. Yeah, and Blood Clot Plots has mentioned, you know, sometimes it is quite hard to get desecrate their lands because the terrain has been moved completely to the side outside of a deployment zone, um, or it's just really badly set up. At least you've got a bit more control here. There's a lot of benefits. I think my advice to anyone is to look at either the LVO pack or the Old Town Throwdown pack. I mean, wait till it's obviously updated for season two, but give it a shot. See how you go. I think it's certainly something that I'd like to continue using because we don't use, at least in Australia, we don't use garrisonable, impassable, line of sight blocking terrain. We don't use it enough. And that has significant impacts to shooting being very powerful because there's not enough line of sight blocking terrain. You know, garrisonable, there's a lot of cool things you can do that we just don't really tap into unless you're Seraphon. Um, so... I, I think give it a shot, but I think there's something something special here that people should consider. Yeah, I mean, I know there was like at one point last year where shooting was really powerful, but because of how the Old Town Throwdown pack works, shooting was actually not the strongest. And it was really interesting to see like the results of our local meta with this pack versus everyone else in the world where like shooting may have been a little stronger because of how they handled terrain and what. Yeah, sometimes I, I've said this to a few people that sometimes we create our own problems. Like shooting can be really overpowered. But if we don't have the terrain to match and to hinder shooting, 
then of course, and we got like very flat one dimensional terrain, lots of space, of course it becomes really powerful. And it's because we've created our own problem. So look for either line of sight, what wildwood kind of rules or improve the quality of terrain. I know that's easier said than done. Anyway, game one. So we're playing in the presence of idols. You're up against Don Maddock. I'm up against Daniel Dowell. Um, talk to me a little bit about your game. Uh, how did it go and any highlights of the game? So when I saw when I what my pairing was, you know, day one, and I saw this, I feel like, oh, I'm thrown into the gauntlet. No easy game, you know, no okay matchup. This is, you know, a true test for my LVO list. And I was actually really looking forward to see how this would pair into Ogres for the tournament. Because I've been playing against Ogres a lot before they you know, up the points cost for Noblars and Iron Blasters. And having fought against Ogre so many times, I've um, got to this conclusion where it's like, okay, even though my army at the time, Beast of Chaos, has a lot of rend, there's really no point trying to kill the Stonehorn because it just, you know, minus one a wound, five of ward. It's just too much of an investment to get rid of where if you don't, if I didn't kill it in one turn, then everything else like the Iron Blaster and Lead Belchers were going to touch me. So my game, my game play on this game was, you know, to just play for the, the objectives, use my board presence, because board presence is king, as I've learned from Bill Souza, and then, you know, take out the Iron Blasters where I can. So, I mean, it was a long grind, and, you know, I lost, you know, by the end of the game, I lost most of my heroes. I lost, you know, most of my units. I finally lost the 30-man blob of Zongors by the fourth turn, but because I strictly was focused on my goal of just taking out everything else, all the lead belchers were gone by the end of the game, all the Iron Blasts were taken care of, you know, there was just only the Stonehorn left on his side while I had some summon units, and I was able to outgrind him. So I didn't try, like, the focus really wasn't to, like, try to, like, table him, per se, but it was just to play for the board and just take out the Iron Blast and priority targets because, you know, those things are extremely difficult to deal with. And because I always play for high drops, um, I can, you know, I can see where he deploys, and I don't care if they always give me first because with Old Beast of Chaos, it lets me, you know, summon units. It lets me get into position and, you know, set up for, you know, possibly being doubled from turn one to turn two. So, yeah, do you I remember Do you remember what his three uh, idols were and what your three idols were? So for anyone who doesn't know the battle plan, we, we both pick three units that are idols. Um, there is some Battleshock, Battleshock reduction abilities with your idols, as well as if an idol kills an idol, you get some extra victory points. Yeah, so pretty much his idols, from what I remember from the top of my head, are, you know, the Frostlord on Stonehorn and um, two of his two of his Iron Blasters, while mine were the 30 Zongors, uh, my Shagoth, and my Zongor General. The reason why I made my um, idols, these 30 Zongors, is because I rallied them on a 4-up, so it's really hard to kill. And then my Shagoth and my my General Zongor Shaman on disc... I hid them most of the time because the Wildwoods are hit them behind a garrison so they can't be shot at. Because I thought about putting the Zongord Land on disc as like the um, idols, but because I wanted them to get stuck in and deal with the threats, I knew that they were going to get clapped back at some point. So I wanted to like, you know, try to deny as many idol points as possible. That was kind of like my goal. Yeah, that's the, that's the trick, right? Is that you put a target on a unit and then it's, if it's one that you think is going to, you're going to buff up, it makes it very easy to, to start targeting it. But if you start going somewhere else and not giving up those points, then um, yeah, there's some, there's some good stuff in there. So uh, overall good game, a lot of shooting here between three iron blasters, 
the four units of lead belchers, usually you see things like this where it's like a castle, right? You've got your noblars as a screen. You then have lead belchers kind of tagged around throughout the game to be able to shoot with an unleashed shell, protecting the iron blasters. And, uh, oh, I don't see the uh, the trophy rack. I don't see the uh, the hero sniping uh, trophy rack. So um, he did have, I, I, so he's three drops. So yeah, there's no way he could, he couldn't fit trophy rack in the list. So which is very common. Um, but overall good game. You won. Um, so you pick up your first victory at the LVO. Yeah. You know, it, it was like, okay, I was, I had a really good test and, you know, Don Maddock was a really awesome opponent. It was really close. You know, we, I got, we got each other waters and I think we got each other like alcohol after. So he's like, you know what? This is why I love LVO. I get to play somebody new. And, you know, I get to play against a hard list with, you know, my own tested and, you know, see how it goes. So the MVPs of my of that game for me was Zongors because they were an expert conquerors. So it was really hard for him just to get me off the objectives. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shout. I, I will miss expert conquerors, I think, um, especially as hordes start to come back. Um, so my first game against Daniel uh, Dowell um, was a Knights, of the, a Knights of the Empty Throne, Slaves to Darkness. So I was worried about playing Slaves to Darkness. And here we are, Slaves to Darkness. I was worried about the Nurgle banner. Here we are. There is 20 Chaos Warriors with the Nurgle banner. So that is going to reduce the rend by one and also minus one to wound as well. So it makes that unit of 20 Chaos Warriors super durable, especially when the Chaos Sorcerer Lord puts its ability to just give it a six up ward so it's an automatic it's not a spell it's just like point and click um really the the concern for me here was the uh the varan guards there was a unit of six varan guard which were the general uh varan guard once per game can fight twice uh and then the mark of corn makes them really killy in combat so there's some really good boost there um, it was a very interesting mix with the Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore. You had a Chaos Lord on foot. You had some some knights and some really good combinations going in. But going into this game, I got to give away first, if I remember correctly. Um, I think he was higher drops than me, or at least I, I, either way, he went first. Um, his Varangard zoomed up the board and hit my War Stomper. So my War Stomper was the only thing he could hit. By the way, uh, the Chaos Lord, the Varangard, and the Chaos Warriors were the idols, while I gave my three Mega Gar against the idols. They were the most killy things and the most survivable things. So I thought, if anything, they were the ones going to do the killing, and they wouldn't be giving it up, or it would make it a lot harder. Um, charged up the Varangard, up the board, had some incredible fluffs, and uh, my War Stomper remained on like one or two wounds. Um, so even with the double fighting, it didn't, wasn't able to kill the, the war stomper. And then somehow with a miraculous swing, I think my war stomper killed two or three Varangard. Wow. Even though it's got like one, yeah, like the, the whiffs of the century. Um, I think he also forgot to put the six up ward on them before they ran up the board. Um, it was one of those, like maybe a little bit flustered at the start of the tournament, maybe a little bit of ring rust, but, um, I killed a couple of the of the 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 Varen guard. Then I was able to start kind of like just kind of whittle it down, right? Retreat the war stomper out of combat, start healing up. Um, I would then charge in with like King Broad that he would be able to start pulling. Or no, it was the gatebreaker that started pulling down the remaining Varen guard. Now that they use their once per game um, double fight, uh, I could kind of go in there, 
clear them out, do some mortal wounds. When uh, when Mega Gargants and War Stompers charge, they'll do D3 or D6 mortal wounds, depending on um, the variant. Um, and then I could just start kind of start doing some attrition. Um, for me, the big kind of like highlight was um, I, I kind of alluded to it in the list build is the twenty Chaos Warriors. Um, they've got one model that has a banner, and um, at the time, King Broad was in the middle of combat and he wrapped around his Chaos Warriors all around the the King Broad. I'm like, okay, I can kind of survive it. I can do finest hour, all that defense. I can do some defensive things. Then I charged in a man crusher. And um, when a man crusher piles in, as I mentioned, um, if I can roll a dice that is equal or great, double double than the wounds characteristic. So we, so in this case, it's a four up. Um, I could steal if I if I'm within one inch of the banner, I could steal it. So I literally slay that model, and that would then remove the minus to rend ability. So that was pretty brutal. Otherwise, it just I, I was able to do enough damage by turn two that my opponent wasn't able to score anything else. Um, I kind of accepted his his damage. I belted him enough that um, I would walk away with that win. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying, you know, Slaves of Darkness was really common at the tournament, and you know, this is a really hard matchup for Giants because of all the banners and the armor saves. And you know, the, but I will say the War Stopper I think swings this matchup because. You know, even though he could be at one wound left, if enough models are around him, he could still get up to 10 attacks on his club. So he actually is like, he still hit significantly hard. And to me, because I used to play Giants a little bit, little bit um, War Stoppers to me are the most reliable guardians. Especially if you put Flaming weapons, so it means those club attacks are three damage each. So if you are within range, you can do up to tw tw 10 attacks with the club. Uh, doing three damage a piece, so it can be brutal if you um, have that right combination. So, you and I both won one. Yeah. So you know, onwards. I feel like you you you've lost the priority roll against your allergies though. So yeah, um, sorry. I've been like constantly wiping my eyes. It's uh, you know, some. I've been working. I was working earlier today, and uh, there's just my allergies act up. Oh, good. I know what it was like in your house getting allergies. Uh, <laughs> Round two was against the prize of Galay. We, uh, I was up against James West, uh, who funnily enough, when I was at Adepticon 2019, I actually played James West and almost an exact same build. Um, very, very similar, uh, where he beat up on my poor gits, my poor squigs at the time. Now who's laughing? Look at squigs rules now. Uh, while you got to play Jeremy, who I've had on the channel from last year, who ran a Phoenician... Uh, cities to sigma very like what are you doing this is this is in, insanity um and he brought a very similar list some tweaks to this list but um talk to me about the game how talk to me about prize yeah so yeah garrett thomas understands me right now but um yeah so when i was playing against jeremy um I, i'm not even gonna try to say his last name because i feel like i'm gonna butcher it you know I was kind of told ahead of time that, oh, yeah, this is the guy that made top eight last year and got third place. And then I suddenly remember who he was because I remember watching some of his games. So I was just like, okay, you know, after playing against, you know, three Iron Blasters and an Ogre player, even though a lot of people don't play Phoenician, he's probably the only one in the world that does. You know, he's like, he was really good. So I was like mentally preparing myself, okay, this is going to be like, you know, this is going to be a battle. And it, you know, excited me. So, you know, we, with how his list works, um, 
golden. I think I'm trying to. I, I might mix this up, but essentially, um, he has an artifact on one of his phoenix on his uh, phoenixes that every time he has a save roll of six, he heals. And then with how anointed on frostheart phoenixes work, if you cast a spell around them, they get another plus one to save. So it's really easy to like save stack on these phoenixes. And we, you know, before we played our game, he he has he, I think he has as many drops as I did. So it was really interesting to see that. Okay. Um, Wow, I, I actually get to decide priority for once, which is like, you know, different for me. So, you know, I opted to give him first because I was like, you know what, let's see what he can do. I don't think he can do much first turn, which was probably my mistake as to why I lost my game against him. Because he realized that, okay, with my bounty hunters and everything, even with Phoenix Guard being on a four up a ward save, I could outgrind him and with summoning him. So he did a giant gamble where he buffed up the Phoenix with Phoenix Pyre Ashes. And you know, got all got all the buffs loaded onto it. And then he made a nine to twelve inch charge, literally what he needed, because I gave him a tiny three-inch gap so he can smash my herdstone. And he smashed my herdstone, and that Phoenix tied up my entire army for the rest of that game because he was just safe stacking and I just didn't have the red till I get through. And the another tricky thing about his list is that because the assassins are hiding in like the flagellants or the Phoenix Phoenix Guard, they can he can run like his Phoenix or Flagellants outside of three inches of me, and the Assassin can come out and lock something in combat. And if something in his list dies, the entire army gets plus one a hit, plus one a wound. So it, be, it makes them really efficient. And then Flagellants and Bounty Hunters really like shocked me that game because um, he, with them and Bounty Hunters, um, they went into my 30 Zongors and they killed about 20 of them in one go. A unit of Flagellants, just ba basic, I think it was like 10 of them, and I was just like, this is insane. I like never seen how this like works. And, you know, I think, you know, he thoroughly outplayed me. And even though like, I was like, ah, you know, I, you know, now with this loss, I can't catch up to Noah, Noah G1 thing, you know, for like best beast, but, you know, I got to play a really cool opponent. He was really awesome to play. And, you know, because, you know, he's been playing this list literally as I was talking to him forever since it first came out. Um, you know, I was cheering for him to like make top eight because, you know, he was like, okay, this is a list that no one knows how to fight. And, you know, I certainly didn't because I've never played against Phoenicia, but, you know, yeah. And I think, you know, if people, if people want to see, you know, what a Phoenicia looks, list looks like, they should look at this, even though, you know, Bounty Hunters and Extra Conquerors is gone, but this is still like a, you know, it's a, it's a trading army, you know, yeah. it, it trades with you. And you know, tries to outgrind you and just play for points. He doesn't care if he gets table as long as he wins. The the Phoenix Guard there, the two the three units of Phoenix Guard have a four up ward save as well. So a four up base save that can easily go down to threes. Um, the Frost Heart Phoenix has like a minus one to wound aura. So there's two of those. As you mentioned, if a, sp a spell is successfully cast, I think it's within twelve, they get plus one to their save, which the Hurricanum gets plus one to its casting anyway. Um, you've got the Hexbane Hunters, the Underworld's Warband with a five-up ward as well. Uh, the Shadow Warriors come in from Reserve, and as you mentioned, the Assassins. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really techie, very different Cities of Sigmar list than you would traditionally see with, like, Tempest Die or um, or Hallowheart or Living City. But um, I'm glad to see uh, Jeremy is persisting with that build because he did top eight, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was, like, again, you know, an awesome opponent, and his list was just, like, superly, like, well-crafted. Everything has a role in this, and, you know, yeah, I mean, it maybe inspires me to, like, try Venetium at some point, because it's just a really cool list. 
yeah, I, I, I dig it. Uh, so my second game, as I mentioned, um, was actually a rematch against James West, who I might have played even game one at LVO, Adepticon, sorry, 2019. So uh, it was great to see James again. I've also had him on the channel. And he was running, uh, as you can see, Archeon, three units of Varangard, uh, the War Shrine, and the Corvus Caval. So the Corvus were going to be coming in from reserve, helping him score things like desecrate their lands, screen if he needs to screen. Uh, he would mark Archeon as Slanesh. So even though the rest of the Varangard are all marked Corn to get the extra damage, um, he was going to mark uh, Archeon to get a 3d6 charge so um he would get the 3d6 charge from the the chaos war shrine as you can see there so really brutal and in so he got turn one as you can see um james was a one drop uh he would dictate the terms of battle he would get basically in my face turn one and we would trade we would trade a lot he has three units of three varangard who can fight twice once per game as i mentioned from game one but what I found was because of the speed, because of um, Demonic Speed, the spell, which went onto a unit of Varangard, it was in combat turn one. Uh, Archeon with a 3d6 charge from um, the War Shrine buffing Archeon. He was in combat or right in my face turn one. Um, I was able to fight out. So the game surprisingly went five rounds, but I found that when I got to like turn five, I just didn't have enough bodies to be able to score battle tactics. I scored I scored four out of my five battle tactics, but because of the amount of damage that came to me early on, I kind of ran out of steam. So the game kind of ended 24 to 12, and it was just basically trading. I, I could never get a double turn. So, and, um, oh, he got a double turn, actually. He, he got Eye of Ed Sheeran. Um, and uh, was able to get the double turn as well, which which just really hurt. But it was a great game. Um, I would have loved a different battle plan where maybe some things were split out a little bit more um, because, again, with with Prize of Galay, there's only one objective that's going to be active, so you've got to be, got to be smart with your deployment. But, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just too much for me too soon. Um, and although, as I mentioned at the end, I think at the end there was Archeon and that was it. It was Archeon versus King Brod, but there was nothing I could score because I did Desecrate in turn four. But otherwise, I, I didn't have enough bodies to do anything turn five because the Man Crushers were gone, the other Megas were gone. Um, literally, it was Archeon and um, and King Brod. Yeah, I mean, I played both Slaves of Darkness and Giants, and I think, you know, as soon as I saw Knights of the Empty Throne, I'm like, oh, that is not a fun time for Giants, and because Archeon can set the turn priority, because he knows who goes going first, it really lets Archeon and the Baron Guard be aggressive, especially because Baron Guard can double fights, and when the Baron Guard charge, they're red three, so, yeah, you know, they don't, Giants do not like that. Yeah, so he he gave me the top of turn one. Um, so I just like snuck a little baby man crusher to tag the objective. Um, but then he had done the Eye of Ed Sheeran, knew he was getting the priority. So going to the bottom of turn one, he guaranteed himself the top of turn two. He could just go super aggro and um, was rewarded for it. It was a great game. I really enjoyed it, but man, they hit like a truck. Yeah. So you and I are both one win, one loss. Yeah. One one, yeah. 
game three. So I've played two uh, Slaves to Darkness, diversity plus here for me <laughs> right now. Uh, you have played a Cities and you played Slaves. Uh, your third game is okay, against... This wasn't my first one, but yeah. Oh, your first, yes. Uh, the third the third game was against the Owen Jackson. So you played Owen coming in from, from Wales, England. Um, I was up against Anthony Sterling. So um, you're up against uh, Stormcast. I was up against Seraphon. Talk to me about how this went. So, you know, as soon as I got to play, you know, I'm like 1-1 one, one right now, you know, let's see where the bracket ends. And I, you know, I play against Owen Jackson and I'm just like, what? How did he end up here? You know, because he's usually like, one of the biggest champions out, you know, in United Kingdom. But I was really happy to like play him because you know I haven't talked to him yet, but I've seen him online. I also watch a lot of his war gamers, so I see him mentioned a lot. So you know, I was like, okay, you know, let's uh, let's see how this goes. And um, as soon as Owen Jackson sees me, I just hear him call me the Nuge, and I'm just like, ah, shit, he knows who I am. So you know, we start hugging, we start chatting, and you know, this this is how I know this is gonna be a fantastic game, and it actually ends up being my favorite game for the weekend. And he's, this is definitely one of my favorite opponents of all time. So he was playing Stormcast, Hammers of Sigmar, and he was playing what people have coined the um, Reign of, of Stars. Stars list. Because, you know, Celsa Prime does, you know, some AoE mortals. Slon, with comments called as AoE mortals. Star Drake, you know, has a 30-inch shooting attack, which is, like, you know, big. And then it has Arcane Tome, so it can summon the Everblaze Comet to do more AoE mortals. And on top of that... Um, Fulminators also do mortals. So, you know, it's just a lot of mortals all at once, and it tries to cause a lot of bravery and battle shock tests. And, you know, even though it's really light on bodies, everything was just extremely hard to kill in this list. So, and even though we were playing on a Stilk Seal Nest, which is Beast of Chaos' best map, I still feel like I had to deploy very carefully against Owen Jackson, because if I left him a giant opening for Comet to hit everything, or if I, like, decide to, like, give him a hole for the Fulminators or Prime to get in at the wrong time then it's a bad time for me so yeah this 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 very much so just aoe by the way if you're if you're new to the the terminology it's area of effect so basically um like the comet will do damage i think it's within a 10 inch radius prime picks a point in the battlefield and within three inches or 24 inch range and anything within three inches of that point takes d3 mortal wounds um there's just a lot of damage that happens at a radius as opposed to pick a model it takes damage uh you've obviously got a lot of models from the fulminators you uh, have call to aid so it can bring back one of those units of vanquishers once per game for a command point um and that star drake can be quite tanky with um some of its builds yeah so with how we deployed so he because my biggest advantage in this matchup besides having my rend was just the amount of bodies I can like present to him and like just keep constantly summoning. So he knew he had to like put me on a clock. But because he had to deploy defensively, he only sat on two or three of his objectives while I was able to like deploy units on all four of my objectives because I wanted to spread out for Comet. Because I played against, you know, uh, some locals here were like, um, I guess they were very inspired by Owen Jackson's Rate of Stars list and were playing it a lot. So I actually had like a good amount of experience playing against this type of list, you know, before you know, my game against Owen. And, you know, as the game, you know, was going on, there was a lot of, like, trading, you know. I would I would um, lose maybe some of my chap units and I would lose, like, my Dragon Ogres and a unit of Songwear Light on disc. He brought his Prime down turn one, and then he charged me. But because it was only on three attacks, it, you know, he kind of whiffed. And then I had, you know, six Songwear Light on disc going. And even with Finest Hour on the Prime, um, 
my Zongwood Light on disc had extra red on them, so they were about red three when they went in, and they shut off commands. So they were able to take it out in combat, despite the four up ward. And then, um, however, the slot was still causing me, like, big problems, even though I did get a turn where, like, I actually gave him the double from turn one to turn two, because um, he couldn't unbind Comet in his turn, actually. And then in my turn, bottom two, I actually unbound Comet. So I stopped that thing from coming up until, like, round four or round five. But then eventually, though, his dragon and his fulminators did push up, and they got into the 30 Zongors and killed them all. They smashed my Hearthstone, so things are kind of looking bad for me. However, I was able to, like, because of the spread I had on the map, I was able to keep up on the objectives and everything, and I was able to, like, make sure I always held more and played for my battle tactics. And then I think at some point, at one point in the game, he failed to get a battle tactic, so he had to, like, catch up to me, even though, you know, I had he had taken all of my objectives on my side, and I had taken most of his objectives on his side. So we kind of, like, traded places. So um, it, this game pretty much came down to... The Slon had to go into melee combat to kill one more Zongor Enlightened on disc on his own with two wounds left because there was three models in that unit, but it was being peppered with range and mortal wounds for the Slon and everything. So I had to make two five-up saves, and I rolled two five-ups because if that unit, if he lived, um, if he died, then you know I, wouldn't, I would not be able to get hold one, hold more, and then burn. But because I was able to get that, you know, I managed to win by a single point. So yeah, I think Owen Jackson is definitely the best Stormcast player I've ever played against. I mean, I think he's just a really like good player in general, even though he doesn't like main Stormcast necessarily. But you know, it was definitely a you know this was day one, round three of LVO, and I was exhausted. But you know, the game was so much fun. Where it's just like you know, I honestly didn't care at that point. Whoever won or lost, I got to play you know a really great opponent who I would normally get to play because he lives all the way in the United Kingdom, and you know. We got to hang out after, you know, have some drinks, and, you know, it was great. Just shows you that even top-tier players are still a lot of fun. We're not all here to make you cry and, uh, you know, make you have a bad time. Uh, everyone is here to push around their war dollies and, and have a good time. So uh, you beat uh, Owen Jackson. Um, as you mentioned, probably a little bit surprised to see Owen one-on-one uh, -on -one at the point in time, but um, definitely an interesting one, especially because of the way that just with the area of effect mortal wounds, with the amount of bodies. And, and I had a similar game later on that I'll, I'll show. And I, for me, I couldn't care less about the amount of area of effect chip mortal wounds. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the I'm, fact that he was like 1-1 one, one before we played, though, just to show it was that LVO was extremely difficult to do really well at, you know, which adds to the challenge and makes it more fun. Yeah, Gareth just giving me giving me grief in the chat. Uh, I'm saying people are good people. Even like you look at like you know Scooter, you look at Caleb, you look at you know um, all the players who are at the top. They all had a lot of fun. So, Gareth, be quiet. Uh, I went up against a uh, person also by the name of Anthony um, from Seattle. I think it was uh, Anthony Sterling. Uh, diversity finally, yay! I got to play against Seraphon Thunder Lizards, which is a bit annoying because they have some ability to reduce damage. Um, so for me, it was all going to be about um, doing as much mortal wounds as possible on the charge, being able to kind of hopefully get through the screen of, of Saurus Warriors, which would be able to block out those Bastillodons, be able to block out the um, the all these like his slant star master, his star priest, all of his little priests and wizards that are hiding around his temple. Um, 
I needed to get through that screen. And the Bastilladons who start off on a one plus save are absolute pains in the backside. So you've got to put a lot of resources to chip them down. Um, but getting to them is easier said than done, especially when you have things like Asaurus Knights, Carnosaurs, the Starblood Stalkers, those types of things, protecting the Bastilladons who are just shooting you at range. Um, so turn one, Anthony moved up the board, probably not as aggressively as I thought. I thought Anthony would move up. Um, so I thought he'd move up and, and not quite go for my objectives turn one, but I thought he would at least go to the middle of the board. Instead, he stayed relatively stagnant and just kind of protected his backboard, right? Um, or his, like his, his side of the board. But the deployment distance between us wasn't that much. So it meant that I could go in. And on, I think, turn one, I charged in man crushers. Well, I charged in one man crusher because I kept two in the backfield to protect some home uh, objectives. Um, I charged in all three mega gargans turn one. So on the charge, they do D6 mortal wounds. Um, the man crushers do D3 mortal wounds. So I could get around some of that damage reduction with mortals on the charge. Um, I could then start clearing those screens and then start hitting things like the Bastilodons. I colossal slammed his um, Carnosaur and moved it from one combat into another. So it's got this, like, we've got this cool little monstrous rampage where I can basically on a three up, pick your monster up, swing it around the board as long as it stays within one inch of my, uh, my mega. And it could mean that I can pull it into combat with another mega. Or I could pick you up and move you off an objective. Or I can do certain things, move you out of buff ranges. Um, basically, we traded for a little bit. But because of the amount of mortal wounds, um, I was able to start like grinding things down, pulling out the his scoring. Like the Saurus were gone. The Carnosaur was gone by like turn two, I think. Maybe turn three at best. I think one Bastilla, uh, one Bastilladon was gone by turn two. The, the second one was gone by turn three, if not the top of turn four. Um, and it was just there was just an overwhelming amount of Mega Gargans on his side of the board that just um, made it too hard for him to to catch up. We ended thirty two to eleven. Um, if I didn't have the mortals, if I was an army that didn't have mortals on the charge, this would have been a lot harder of a game. But but just with the amount of tools that I had at my disposal meant that I could handle that. Oh. Wow. Cool. Is there two of me? Yeah, there's two. No, we're, we're all good now. All right. It's a bit weird. So that was, that was, um, that was my game. Um, a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs, as you mentioned, game three is always tiring. You know, he would use prayers to boost up those Bastilla Dons to have like a more than a one plus save. And there was wards and there was random stuff going on. But again, it was just that just pure grind. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely an even matchup with giants and Seraphon because while you know, giants don't like minus one reduction damage. Uh, Seraphon does not like, a, you know, 140, 50 wounds sitting in their face that they don't do the most damage. Because I think Seraphon damage, they like to do it progressively throughout the game, where with giants, you need to deal with them now or, you know, with the first few turns. Otherwise, they'll just outscore you. 
I will say though that with silk this the the battle plan silk steel nests um having eight objectives and I've only got five units makes it really tough right because yeah I win by overwhelming my opponent with the amount of damage and amount of bodies but if I go too aggressive there are four objectives in my backfield I can't I can't um defend which is why I chose not to do four mega gargans but rather three and have three babies so I could sit a couple on the backfield um they're strong enough to handle anyone who comes in from reserve. They're able to do enough damage um, as long as someone doesn't have like a really good summoning or teleporting ability. But um, I knew I could kind of hand, and that was why I chose the three babies as opposed to four megas. Yeah. I mean, you know, it definitely paid off because you got to see the missions ahead of time. So you can like, you know, really figure out, okay, do I want to take four megas or do I want to take babies? And I think, you know, your plan of just getting, you know, having the babies hold the back objectives or the other objectives while your three megas pinned the Seraphon army, you know, it paid off. Well, it's more, even if I didn't have uh, access to the battle plans, like everyone got to see them, but um, even then, like, you know, Silk, uh, Silk Steel Nest, for example, um, Nidus Paths, there's a lot of ones where that'll reward you for having something that can protect a backfield or protect a corner. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, and again, why you might not go for megas. Game four was Realmstone Cash. Uh, you were up against Randall Brasher uh, with the Ogre Moor Tribe. So a second Ogre list out of four games. Um, <laughs> a little bit different though, a little bit less artillery than the last one. This is probably more of a traditional um, Beast Claw Raider build with the Frost Lord on Stonehorns, the two Frost Lord on Stonehorns, a couple of Mournfang pack with a couple of Iron Blasters. Uh, and I got to play against Jeremy Shaw's Stormcast Eternals um, with basically dragons, so either Fulminators or Dragon Dragons. So uh, in in uh, sorry, it's not meant to be Tempest Lords. It was incorrectly put into the system. Uh, it's Hallowed Knights, so Gardas is giving uh, a five-up bubble, uh, which was a real pain in the backside for this battle plan. Matt, yeah. how are you going? Yeah, so, you know, this is game four, um, you know, after we finished game three yesterday, you know, we all, you know, ate dinner and then we went to, you know, have like karaoke at this dive bar, which is a lot of fun. So it was me, coach, and then also some other content creators like uh, Partners you know, War, Rerolling Ones, McGonk yeah, from Stormcock. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like we were, content creator central. Yeah. And then, yeah, we were just all hanging. I mean, it wasn't really planned. We just all just kind of went out there because, you know, Aaron was like, okay, yeah, let's let's go to have a dive bar. I'm like, okay. And then the drinks were amazingly cheap there. It was like three or four dollars a purse, you know, a drink. And then we were just there till like two, three AM. We didn't get back until like four AM actually. So, you know, we were all waking up and this is 10 AM, you know, kind of recovering from our little hangover. So as soon as I saw ogres again, I was just like, well damn, I got I gotta, you know, I gotta I gotta step up once more. So I was playing against Randall Brasher from Austin Weirdobs. So you know the shirt you're wearing so yeah i think he is um i think he's a team captain of weird knobs or he's like one of their like captains but you know he's a really cool guy so and i knew it was going to be like a fun game because you know texans have a reputation here in uh a the age of sigmar american community for being like you know really good so i was like okay this is like a good challenge so you know this is um realmstone cage so i knew this kind of favored the ogre opponent because all he had to do was just charge the stone horns at me and be really aggressive before my red leveled up from like round two to round three. So the first thing I did was, you know, I, I thankfully won the defender role. So I put two wildwoods 
in front of both, you know, both our deployment zones. So his iron blasters couldn't shoot, you know, my heroes because he knew my heroes were the ways I generated summoning points. So, you know, started my turn one because I knew he, he had zero GVs or Galatian veterans in his list. I just put some of my great, I just put some of my Galatian veterans on the point and because they were expert conquerors and I just summoned an endless spell, which I used to move block. So he had to like come at me at, his, at a weird angle where I wanted him to come through. So then, you know, he gets it and that, no, so he, so he kills my screen, takes the objective with two of his stone horns because he wanted to go second because I'm 10 drops and he's eight drops. So I didn't make it proving ground in any of the turns. So, you know, he wins the, so priority, I win the priority from turn um, one to turn two. And I actually opt to take, to take it because I, I wanted to put another Galatian veteran on there just to make him, you know, have to fight for the objective still. So I do that. I kill some of his Morphang pack with my Dragon Ogres. And then, you know, I take the objective Galatian veterans in his turn. Um, his his Iron Blasters move up. They shoot into my 30 block of Zongors because they have to. And then the Frost Lords of Horn Charge take back the point, And they actually um, get into my 30 block of Zongors and do a considerable amount of damage. And because I'm within three inches, I can't rally back in my turn three. So that was kind of worrying. But thankfully, I won the priority from turn three to... Um, from turn two to turn three, so the objective split up, and I was like, okay, at this point, I don't have to kill the Soul Horns, I just have to deal with everything else and play for points, which was pretty much my game plan throughout the entire game, was that, like, um, even though he was able to smash my Hearthstone, I think his biggest mistake was that because he put his um, Frostlord on Soul Horn, he didn't, so when he charged in, he didn't pile in into the into the 30 Zongors I retreated, so I was just able to keep rallying the Zong, I was able to know rally enough of the zongors even he smashed the hearthstone even on a six up where it's like i just kept taking the points from him and i had my zongor lighted on discs i always keep those guys alive to late game because they just are there to mop up clean up and score points i have them kill the rest of the iron blasters and the morphing pack so then by the end of the game um even though both his frostworks and stonehorn were alive he could not score enough points to catch up to me because at some point um he did win the prior from turn four or from turn three to turn four and then I actually made all the I made the objective proving ground so he couldn't take it. And then I actually gave him the double from no, I actually gave him priority from turn four to turn five. So I made another objective proving ground so he couldn't catch up to me in points. So yeah, I mean, that's why in Age of Sigmar, you know, in third edition, the double turn does not matter as much because whoever goes second also has like a lot of power into what yeah, can be both, controlled and what can't. Both seasons have benefits. Obviously, there's no proving ground in the upcoming season, but in this battle plan, there definitely was. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because uh, for anyone who, again, who's not familiar with this particular battle plan, there's only one active objective until turn three where that explodes and it will relocate to two objectives on different points of the battlefield. So, yeah, you want to fight over this middle objective, but know that it's going to explode, so you need the movement. You need to be able to anticipate where it could possibly be on the battlefield. And um, that was really my focus going in. By the way, you've got a lot of movement in your opponent. So if you could kind of whittle down those um, those Mournfang pack, tie up the, the Frost Lords, or even be able to just re remove some of them, um, it's going to mean that, you know, when it explodes in turn three, uh, you're in a good position, especially with the amount of bodies and the summoning and some of the backfield stuff you can possibly do. Yeah, and yeah. I was really proud of, like, my own generalship. Um and for, for versus this ogre player and another ogre player because it really taught me okay you don't have to kill the big scary thing you can just leave it alone and just play the game and that's what my win condition was and i met it 
No, great, great call. Yeah, I agree with you. You don't always have to go bloodlust and try to pull, pull down the Frost Lords. And actually, sometimes, like, you know, in the case that I had just you know, a couple of games ago, you know, ignore Archeon. If you can kill Archeon, cool. But if not, actually, you're better off probably killing the rest of the army because then there's only one model scoring. So um, keep that one in mind. Um, I played against Jeremy Shaw, as I mentioned, Stormcast Eternals, Hallowed Knights. Um, Gardas gives like a, a five-up ward bubble to anyone within 12. So this worked really well for my opponent, given we're fighting over one objective. He got top of turn one, so he was able to like literally drop Gardas down on the objective. Um, having things like the Knight Draconis, he... So, what he what my opponent would do is he would put his forminators from memory on the table and put his dragons in reserve so being able to um re-roll the charge he wanted to basically get in my face turn one so what i did was i deployed uh my three megas in a in a diamond so i had my war stomper my my gatebreaker king broad and then i put a baby on each of them so i put a, a, a basically i was trying to screen my megas but also what I was trying to do was if he did hit a charge with the dragons or whatever it might be, um, because they're within three inches, I'd be able to, and Mega Gargans have a really good um, weapon range. It means that if he got into combat with a baby, it would mean that my other Megas could be able to fight as well. So it was a big trade piece that was, was going on. And that would actually be a deterrent for my opponent. My opponent would try to get into combat and try to not pull in my Megas, which then meant that, he put a lot of resources in to not get the maximum output because he wouldn't want to pile in. He wouldn't he'd give up some of his one inch ranges because he just didn't want to pull in the mega. So that's exactly what happened. Turn one, put Gardas down, put the formidators on the objective uh, as well as the uh, vanquishers. Uh, so a lot of bodies on the objective while the dragons went straight into combat. They, pulled down a man crusher a 12 wound idiot um because he wanted to avoid the megas getting into combat um and then in turn because he avoided my megas getting into combat it meant that i could do um the mortal wounds on the charge where if he would have went in um and tagged them i wouldn't have been able to do mortals on the charge and then because of the range of the weapons i was able to get like my my mega gargans were able to pull down the two units of dragons uh, and then I would go in and proceed to to fight the Forminators, um, obviously pull down the Vanquishers. Um, a lot of good trade pieces here and there, but uh, I think I won the double going in from turn two to turn three. Um, and because of that, um, I was able to start, again, Vanqu uh, uh, Forminators want to charge you as well. They do extra damage on the charge um, while... I was able to charge them and mitigate that too. So between the mortals on the charge, being able to reduce the damage that he does because he's not charging, um, I was able to just slowly grind down the force. The dragons were gone. Uh, the Forminators started to go. The Vanquishers started to go. And then by the time that the Realm Stone had exploded in turn three, I think all he had left on the table was uh, one unit of Forminators that was like half damaged, the Knight Cantor. And he's respawned Vanquishers because he used Call to Aid. But I had more bodies. Um, he was never going to take a, a, an objective off a Mega Gargan who was counting as 20 on an objective. Uh, and it just became Mission Impossible. 
yeah i mean definitely sounds like you know because you also play storm cast you you just like played around your opponent and i think realms of cage is you know really good for gargans and from looking at his list outside of the fulminators i don't think two dragons on their own can kill a gargan and i feel like you know all you have to do is just play patiently and wait for the points and i think gargans can actually outgrind Stormcast in this because there's no long strikes there's no like heavy damage outside of fulminators and that was that was my feedback to jeremy i said i think you blew your load a little too early um i think if you're going to charge with the dragons charge in at the same time with the fulminators because I could handle the dragons on their own. But if you also charged me in, did the mortal wounds from the Forminator Dragon Breath, you also did more damage with the Forminators, you would have pulled down a Mega. So I think just the it was a bit too aggressive too soon, um, and I was then able to kind of respond. Yeah, and because the objective split up at some point when Gardas comes down, he's just kind of stuck where he's at. So well, he got us turned see. one. He got us turn one, so um, yeah. and not having like a Lord Relictor, he wasn't able to teleport Gardas around. Look, the the bubble in the middle was really generous, but yeah. when it exploded, um, you could just like, ignore him. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I killed him by turn three in the end anyway, but yeah, I could ignore him if I needed to. So uh, we are both now uh, victorious. I won twenty six to four. Um, so you're three one. Uh, yeah. I'm three one. Yeah. I was thinking at this right. point, man, am I going to match the coach? <laughs> we'll see. It was very possible. I had a few people going, oh, we're going to play, we're going to play. And obviously there's so many people, it's just hard to hard to know who to match up. Uh, which then leads us to, funnily enough, your last opponent is in the chat. So it'd be nice to Zach. Uh, so yeah. Zach, uh, Zach played Sons uh, with the Breaker Tribe, uh, War Stomper Gatebreaker, uh king broad three man crushes um very similar actually exactly the same list basically basically yeah. brother zach um and i play against roberto um who is who i believe was using noe's list i think from memory like when i yeah, saw this list was, i'm like literally borrowed noe's list when I saw this list, I'm like, I know this list because Noe talked to me about it like six to eight months ago. Um, so I played against another Stormcast Eternals list, but a very different AOE um, uh, list. Uh, and we were playing the Nidus Path. So this has a little points on the corner where you can teleport in the movement phase, um, which was going to be interesting for my opponent because he has not a lot of bodies. But before I talk about um, your opponent, my game, talk about yours. Yeah, so you know, my let you know, it was, you know, it was game five. You know, it was the last game of you know for both of us for LVO because you know the top eight was going to move on. So you know, I was really excited. You know what? This has been a great year of like you know Age of Sigmar and you know just the tournament in general. So when I saw who I was playing against, you know, I introduced myself to Zachary Powell. Hi, I know you're in the chat. So you know, so Zachary Powell, you know, is like I think he's a player and I think maybe a community leader of the um, Age of Sigmar scene all the way in Utah. So you know. We got to like exchange a lot of words, and he never played against Beast of Chaos before. So you know, I was taking you know taking the time to like explain to him you know everything because I don't I, I I don't ever like to play with like gotchas or like you know I only win because you didn't know something. Like I don't like to win that way. So you know I make sure I explain everything, and then throughout the game because you know old second second edition Beast of Chaos book is really like convoluted. So like even when I was like play, I was like you know saying everything, and you know. Because I already know how Giants play, he didn't have to explain anything to me. So we we actually got to like chit chat a lot while we we're playing. So you know this is Nidus Pass, and then essentially my plan my plan against Gargans this game 
was to you know spread them out across all the objectives take out one gargant at a time and then you know take out the babies and just keep summoning it and just put the pressure on which i was able to do this game so i think by the end of the you know it was kind of like it was kind of a grind even though our game was actually really quick we finished in like we finished with like an hour to spare and then we just chatted the rest of the time but then essentially um i was able to bring down the war stomper and then um all the babies on their own why left the gatebreaker and king brought alone because um with summoning he had to like hold back his giants where like i was just able just to pressure him where i want to and then although he did this really cool thing at the end of the game where he's like okay i want to get a fifth tactic so i just told him you know what? just gun for my hearthstone just get a 12 inch charge and you know and roll that three up so you know we were both i was really excited for him just to like do this because by the end of the game i think i i was already like winning it but you know i want to encourage my opponent to get the fifth turn tactic so first he rolls a three inch charge so i'm like ah you know spend the command point to re-roll so then he sends the command point he gets a 12 inch charge on king broad he gets into my herdstone rolls a six up to bash it just to get the giant foul texting it five tactics throughout the entire game that was honestly my favorite moment in the entire game because i'm just so happy know for him to do well even though i did still like you know play to win but i i'm glad that like you know i was able to give you know zachary a really fun game and we got to talk a lot and you know if i have enough time you know i definitely want to like um come to the utah events and play you know agent sigmar because they are west coast and you know yeah i think outside of owen um play owen jackson for game three this was my other favorite game from the weekend awesome so you finished uh four wins and one loss yeah. <clears throat> so my last game was uh, a game that I ended up being very, when I looked at the list, I was relatively confident I would walk away with this one uh, unless I played like a complete potato. Um, so that was basically the way I would play as a potato would be putting all of my mega gargants and my regular babies all in a small area. Like if I was castling up. So basically what I described in my last game, if I did the same thing, I would be punished. So the way this list works is you have a whole bunch of these Knight Vexilers with the Meteoric Standard, and they have a once per game, basically pick a point in the battlefield is it within 24 inches, and it does a bunch of mortal wounds. So this would be really good against like Night Haunt, really good against any particular army that doesn't have... <clears throat> A lot of wounds and and it relies on a lot of characters so if i ran my daughters of cain or my stormcast or my gits even uh, the knight vexilor could do real damage and there's what one two three four five of them uh in addition to all of that you've got those judicators with sky bolt bows who do mortals on sixes to hit in addition to all of that, you've got Annihilators who are the defensive Annihilators. They have a two-up armor save, but when they come down from the sky, they do mortal wounds to everyone within nine inches. Now, Roberto didn't have a Lord Imperitant, which meant that he had to come outside of nine, where traditionally the trick is you'd have Imperitant, which means one unit per round can come in within seven, so you would do more mortal wounds. Um uh, and being that they were the shield ones, they weren't as damaging in combat. So I didn't have to worry about the grand hammers. So basically what I did was I deployed my army as spread out as humanly possible. So it means that whenever he, he used his once per game um, banner, um, it would only hit two, three mega guard, three, two or three units at worst. So with the chip mortal wounds, he wouldn't be able to do enough to pull one down. And yeah, those annihilators come from the sky and 
And Roberto took turn one. He outdropped me. He went aggressive. And I don't think he killed any of my models by turn one. So even yeah. though he used the Annihilators, even though he used the Sky Bolts, um, I, even though he used the the Relictor, the, the Vexler, sorry, it just wasn't enough damage to pull down any of my models, which meant that I could then respond. And um, he had no real tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, he could do Annihilator Charges. That's relying on a nine. Um, the five Judicades with Sky Bolts are not enough to pull down a Mega, and that's what he was going for, trying to pull down the Megas. Um and I just didn't have the damage, and I was able to start lifting things on the charge and in combat. Um, I had the threat potential as well with the Nidus path because he's he's mostly controlling the board with one like heroes, little heroes, um, and even the Annihilators are small units. So um, it just became. I think the, I think uh, Roberto stopped scoring um, battle tactics by turn three or turn four. Turn three was his last battle tactic. By turn four, turn five, he started. He stopped scoring them because he didn't have the bodies to contest objectives, didn't have the uh, the battle tactics to score with these little one one model um, widows, and um, it just became too much. It was a lot of fun, but it was just a really bad matchup for him. Like this is just a, a complete bad matchup. Yeah, because the, that list entirely relies on knocking out like half of the opponent's army or like most of the opponent's army before they could do anything. Because once it blows its low turn one, it literally just does nothing else but like score for points. And I mean, like, I don't know, if, like, I don't know. Uh, we have kind of like a crude nickname for this list. I don't know if I could say it on stream, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you permission. No, maybe we'll hold this one off. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, I know Roberto. He's awesome. He's like he's the life of the party to be around. He's very uh he's one of the most interesting people in SoCal, that's for sure. And we question a lot, a lot what he does. <laughs> it was a lot, it was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. But um I think if this was on the last battle plan, the Realmstone Cache, which has a much smaller deployment zone, it could have been a little bit different because when you're boxed in with Realmstone um and there's nowhere to hide, then those those uh, once per game meteoric standards could do some serious damage. I can't avoid it, but being on the Nidus path, which is a very generous Tetris style deployment zone, there was enough space for me to spread out and um, not take as much damage as I possibly should. So um, it's very unique. It'll do great damage to certain builds, but against mine, as long as I didn't beat myself, I'd be fine. Yeah, it's definitely a castle breaker list. Like, let's say if this had to go against like Lumineth and like Sentinels, this list would love to fight something like that. Daughters of Cain with the you know the regeneration of snakes with you know a shrine and like Xanthakai stuff. Boom, you're gone. Your snakes are gone. Um, your your Lumineth castle's gone. You know, a lot of those armies like the Zinch. Like, if you come up against the Zinch castle, you would pull down your your bin chickens and all of the all of the key support pieces with just the amount of mortal wounds it deals. Yeah, and I think this went also like did I don't know how it placed that CanCon, but I know it went five zero at CanCon, something like this. So you know, it's definitely a list archetype that's strong. Yeah, it, it does do quite well, but you got, you, and this is the thing, right? Tournaments are about not only you know how good your list is. There's a lot of luck as well, depending on the draw, depending on who you play, depending on the battle plan. So then plenty of times where you go to a tournament and you had the right army to, against the right opponent in the wrong battle plan. 
And if you just had the a different battle plan, things could have gone very differently. Yeah, I mean, I played against um that li Noe's list against Noe, and when I was doing my piece of chaos, all I did was just hide most of my stuff, and then <laughs> so there's like you know some armies can counter it or just don't have to worry about it. But yeah. So the tournament ended, um, as you've mentioned, uh, Noe Singh uh, took it out in the end. So at the end of the five games, there was one shadow round to determine who finished in the top eight. Um, and then there was a knockout on day three. And um, the final was up between um, Scooter, Nick uh, Walters, and um, Jiren Noe Singh. Um, so how do I pronounce the name? Jiwan? G1 Noah Singh. G1 Noah Singh um, ended up taking it out. So he went 5-0, and then uh, absolutely kicked some serious butt. Uh, it was great to, to watch that all on stream. But reflections, I guess, to kind of bring this home and I can go to work. Um, what's your key takeaway from the LVO and what are you most excited for for the upcoming season? And will you be at LVO 24? Of course. Are you going to be there with us to do dive bar karaoke again? Well, it's looking pretty good. And I've already had a couple of people jump on Patreon like, we want you to come back. So I'm going to throw a couple of dollary dues at me. So look, I, I have all the intention in the world. As long as uh, things go okay at home, uh, I will be at the LVO. So uh, it's, it's, it's earmarked. Uh, yeah. I, I had an incredible time. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed myself both on the table and away from the table. So um, I definitely will be back if, uh, if I'm allowed to. We also need a rematch of the uh, of the NBA arcade game. <laughs> Look, and to be fair, like I was uh, as um, Tom uh, assistant TO, shout out as well to all the people who supported. Um, it was great. Uh, really appreciated the event that you ran. Um, it was also cool to see like I was just like one 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 position away from being a part of your top scorers for your uh, SoCal United. So true. You um, were, I think you did end up uh second or nah. third. So yeah, I was like, you know, yeah, I mean, you are, you know, you're officially a member of SoCal United as you know, I'm the new team captain of the team. So, you know, you're always welcome to play under us. <laughs> so what's your reflection? Like, you know, whether you had your time again, or maybe the thing that you're most looking forward to, like, what's your, what's your tournament, look into the future so you know this lvo was definitely you know it definitely felt like the capstone final event for this past year you know it was an amazing year of me you know playing in tournaments you know meeting all these people and having you know honestly like the time of my life and now you know i'm happy that i get to do it all again you know in the new season where you know there's no bounty hunters you know I, um all the objectives are like you know close there's gonna be a lot there's i think there's gonna be a really brawly combat meta coming into it and i'm really looking for that because i love playing melee armies and uh you know aside to that i'm also looking forward to you know attending all the events like the next event i'm going to is actually tomorrow i'm flying over to texas to play in um the lone star, lone star. Uh, grand tournament yeah so i'm actually playing old beast of chaos because they're not allowing new gets and new beasts yet because the list lock-ins were before those books came out so yeah i i thought lpo was gonna be the last time i'm playing old beasts but I'm, I get to do it, you know, one more time. And, you know, I have to pack today. But, yeah, I think another thing I'm looking forward to is, you know, leading Sakao United and doing really well with it. So I've actually got a little tournament tomorrow, like 30-odd players. It's a little little event, uh, and I'll be playing with my gits for the first time. So I'll be picking up well, – not for the first time. Like, I've been playing them since they very first came out. 
So I'm going to play up with a, a bunch of squigs and see how not not squig herd. I'm not I'm not cheesing out with like seventy odd squig herd folks. I'm not not that kind of player. But um, I'm looking forward to playing around with the new heroes, the new uh, all the new Galatian champions. Uh, trying out some of the new battle plans. To be honest with you, I haven't really even thought about much about it. So it'll be great to think about the new general's handbook as well as the new battle tome. So getting little combinations together and seeing how the meta shifts and, you know, how many Galatian champions are on the table, but also what the tournament season brings. But um, shout out to everyone, obviously, who was in the top eight, people who missed the top eight. It was an absolutely incredible event. I had uh, a lot of fun, again, at, both at the tournament with my five games, but also everything that happened outside. And uh, if you want to see what's inside the LVO, again, go check out uh, the little video I put out recently, um, which gave you a bit of an insight and some film and some some uh, a bit of a vlog around the LVO and what a big tournament looks like. So they're not so scary. Everyone had a lot of fun and um, hope to see people around. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize for not being on the mic. I was um, just talking to some uh, family member. They were just asking me something, even though I told them that, hey, I'm having a stream. But <laughs> And and uh, Garrett, a.k.a. Tom, saying, if the takeaway isn't that the TOs are awesome, I'm never speaking you, to you again, Matt. Uh, that that sounds actually like a nice little thing. Like I'd, Maybe that actually wouldn't be so bad. The TOs were all right. <laughs> They did a great job. They did an incredible job to have 325 whatever players. Um, didn't seem like anyone really had a problem. So um, a lot of cool heads, a lot of people had a lot of fun. Matt, is there anything you want to say? I've got to go to work. Um, any shout-outs, any, any call-outs? I, I did have Brian previously on the stream. He may have called you out. Do you have a response? Well, I do have a response to that. You know, the allegations that he tossed to me in the last video are obviously – False, and I am going to put him in his place as the OG Beast Lord in the Sparkly uh, Death Party match in Seattle next month. So, yeah. And then also, my other shout outs are, you know, I want to shout out my regions, you know, SoCal and SoCal United. You know, you guys got me into playing events. Love you all. Got to shout, you know, Garrett Thomas as a TO. He's okay. I think uh, Scott is a little bit better than him. <laughs> and then I want to shout out, you know, all of the, the you know, the teams I've met, you know, traveling like Tough Crowd, Harambe's Heroes, and all the players. And I personally want to shout out, you know, G1 Noah thing for, you know, winning the tournament. I'm really happy that we got to have all this, you know, fun competition that we had playing for Top Beast. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, you took the title. And I hope that, you know, you as the co-captain lead Team America to win Worlds. So, yeah. Oh, I, I can't quite agree with that one. I know a lot of my audience is America, but obviously I've got to give some love to Australia. So, this is awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you were at the tournament, let me know in the comments what your favorite moment was. Um, I hope to get out to more international events now that hopefully the pandemic is over and things go back to normal. And uh, I'd love to go out to uh, to the UK and I'd love to go out to more tournaments uh, outside of my region. So let's see what the year looks like. Uh, let's see how we go with Beast of Chaos and new gits. Um, be curious to see how we all go with our new books and uh, where the power is. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to go to work. Yeah, and I got to go back to work too. I have some meetings, but you know, thanks for having me again, coach. And hopefully, uh, we get to you know do it again next year. You know, LVI twenty four, LVI twenty four. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's go. Go. All right. See you, everyone. Bye. Yeah. Peace. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. 
Now, if you did, I would love it if you press like on the video, as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord, and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you are all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a double one on a spell cast.